Monday, 2012, and today on Think Relevance, the podcast, we are talking to Michael Fogus, who around the office, we call him Fogus. Um, so, Fogus, before we get too much into this, uh, as I think you know, we have to ask you a question, which is, what intro music should we play today? Um, let's do um, Moo by Sun Ra. Moo by Sun Ra. All right, I love it when people say stuff I've never even heard of, because then I get to go listen to it when I'm... <laughs> Pulling it in. Cool. Um, well, there are a million things that you and I could talk about. I, I was super happy when we hit on the idea of having you on the podcast today um, because just so many things. You know, I've, we've had a chance to work together on and off a bit. Um, you know, we're both developers here at Relevance. And uh, recently we've been working a lot on um, uh, ClojureScript stuff. So maybe it would make yeah. sense for us to start there. Uh, sure. I think I think people know that you're a, a big closureian. I mean, obviously, you're one of the authors of Joy of Closure, a highly regarded book. Um, but lately, it seems like you've been um, been spending at least some of your time on on closure script. Is that is that the case? Uh, well, actually, it's been uh, I spent most of my my closure related time on closure script since I guess since uh, Rich uh, threw it into the wild, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, uh, there's a little bit of behind the scenes there. Uh, Rich had an, an evil plan for, um, compiling closure to JavaScript. Uh, and, and it had been tried before to some extent with, uh, Chris Hauser's, uh, I forget what it was called now. Uh, uh, yeah, it was actually it was, called Closure Script. It's called Closure Script. He's yeah. a co-author for people that don't know. He also wrote, uh, Joy of Closure, of course. Right, right. And, and so he went down this path at one point or another and, but but his took uh, uh, actually a, 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 a different approach to to this problem and and a lot of what he had done was uh, translate Clojure's core into JavaScript and then um, uh, you know just have a a a compiler that 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 for for the the, the little bits that that ran on top of it so for example he did the persistent data structures in JavaScript and then uh, a uh, little bit of a compiler that that targeted that stuff, uh, but the closure script is you know a full-on compiler that compiles down into JavaScript. Right, and you've been you've been spending time down. Have you been mostly working on the compiler itself, or on things around it, or on projects that use it, or what you've been what have you been up to? Uh, well, my my first exposure to it was definitely down in 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 the guts, um, on on deep in the the compiler, but. Uh, it moved on to sort of the core library, um, and then after it launched, I've been sort of taking, uh, you know, somewhat of a role in in the compiler, but but mostly uh, doing stuff on the side. I mean, I've been, uh, I don't know, I, I, I I'm doing a lot of different things with ClojureScript. I get into the compiler, I get into the core library, I get into supporting tools whenever possible. 
Now, I know that one thing you've been working on I, I, that I think is a really cool project, and you have to help me pronounce it because I look at it and I say Chimera, like almost like Chimera, but with no C. But I don't uh, think that's right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a Russian word uh, that, that stands for Chimera, and it's pronounced Chimera. Mm. Well, uh, <laughs> pronounced as closely as my pronunciation of Russian will let me get. Well, that's, I'm sure that's a, a lot closer. Than, I mean, clearly it's a lot closer than I would have gotten. But So what, what is that thing? I mean, I, what, it's got an interesting name, but what's the project? Uh, well, it's, it's two things, actually. And, but, but the primary thing that it is is a ClojureScript compiler service. So it takes um, a request from a client, uh, in the form of, of ClojureScript source and translates that into JavaScript and ships that back to the client. So this is basically the ClojureScript compiler, but in the form of a web service. Yes. And so now what would I use that for? Uh, well, if, if the, the one thing, the one other thing that, that it is, is it's... Uh, one of the clients that I created was a, was an in-browser REPL, um, and so that that would be one one reason to use it. Another would be to um, just to to centralize ClojureScript compilation uh, when you need that 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 uh, remote ho remote client uh, server capability. You said a couple things there that I that I think. Uh are pretty cool. First of all, you said uh, there was an in-browser uh, in REPL. Um, does that mean that there's a web page that I can go to and I can type in closure script expressions and it'll just, you know, show me the result? Uh, yeah, I, I, I do have something up on Heroku that that uh, I, I tweeted about, uh, I don't know, about a week ago, and some people have been hitting it. Uh, I, I, I hope to have a, a more official home for it within the next day or so. Okay, uh, and it would it would most likely just be uh, Himira at uh, dot Heroku dot com. Okay, cool. H i m e r a dot Heroku h e r o k u dot com. All right, cool. And of course, we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, yeah, I actually had a chance to. I know I'm playing the uh, playing the the noob a little bit here, but I have had a chance to play with it. And it is very very cool. I know it's also you're not done with this yet, right? I mean, there's still a, a bit more work to do. Is that right? Uh, yeah, there there are some some nagging problems around the way def records work and and but not I don't think there's anything insurmountable. Hmm. Do, do you have a so I I guess the other question is why did you write it? Uh well it, it's been th this isn't the first time that someone's tried to tackle this. Uh a couple people have have created uh similar things uh for for their own purposes and and one would be uh, something that uh, Paul Bauer, uh, he, he's he's a member of the Closure community. He had put together sort of a proof of concept of this this very thing. Um, and so when when I went in, went to get into this, I wanted to look into it. And and definitely his is is a proof of concept, and it's limited in a lot of ways that uh, in in that the the interactions that you can have with it. Um, and I, I was hoping to solve those problems, and, and at the moment I haven't completely solved them because I'm only taking, uh, I'm only doing an expression at a time compilation, uh, and I want to get into more, um, 
full program compilation modes and 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 file and file compilation modes and and that that that's to come and 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 there there are other technical problems that have to go um that, that have to be solved before i can get to that uh, another thing another person that tried to solve this problem and and did in a similar way that that paul did um is uh chris granger and and a lot of people in the closure community know him because uh he's superman <laughs> and he's created things like the the noir web web framework and 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 hundreds of other things but most recently he had this did this cool demo uh where he was doing uh live game editing and 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 um he did that via closure script and and on on his server side he had a he had a little compilation service that uh, he would make changes to his source code and it would send it off to the server and it would compile it and send the JavaScript back and it would he was able to um, uh, modify this demo in real time. Yeah, I saw this. This is really really cool. I mean, he's almost implemented it's, it's kind of a kind of a game IDE almost. I mean, not a generalized one, but for this one particular uh, simple game where you could go in and tweak the code and see. You have code on one half of the browser, and the other half, there you can see the effect in the game. It was very, very neat. I think he was inspired by the. Um, oh, there was a presentation, uh, something, imagining innovation. I'm totally remember the name. We'll put the link in the show notes. But uh, yeah, I think it's called um, programming on principle, something like that. Inventing on principle. Inventing on principle. Yeah, that's, that's the one. Yes. Yeah. yeah I, when I, when I saw that, I was completely blown away and. Uh, it was it was fitting that that Chris was the person who actually implemented that. Yeah, and unsurprising too, as you said, he is a bit of a Superman. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, I, I want to loop back though. The, the the question that I'm still not clear on is, like, what what can I do with this? I mean, did you just do this out of personal curiosity? Or are you in in pursuit of some larger end? Or what's the what's the kind of the is this the substrate for something else? I guess might be another question. Well, um. Part of the part of it is personal curiosity. Another one is to sort of prove a point. Um, and and thirdly, um, from my perspective, is is practicality. So um, the the first thing, you know, just just curiosity. That I, I don't really need to explain that one. But <laughs> but the second one to prove a point is that when when ClojureScript was first announced, there was some some hubbub about it, and 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 part of that was that there was no uh, runtime evaluation or compilation happening, mm. and 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 anytime you know, ClojureScript is definitely not the first Lisp that's done that. But um, anytime that's done, uh, you you get a bunch of people that say, well, it's not a real Lisp because it doesn't do that. Uh, and I, I guess that there's definitely an argument for that. Um, but Two things to take in mind, or, or one thing to really keep in mind when when you make that kind of argument that that X is not a true Lisp is that, um, in my experience, and and take that for what it's worth, uh, runtime evaluation of code doesn't really happen all that much, and so it, it, we made a trade-off, and and I wrote a big blog post about this and why ClojureScript doesn't have eval, and and. It was basically a trade-off, and and there's a lot of com complexities that go along with providing eval at, at runtime. But the the real point is that it's not even 
you don't need it to be there at runtime because um, you can farm off the E part of the the evaluation part of the program to something else, and and that's exactly what I've done. I've, I've farmed off the E to uh, uh, this this service, and and what I mean by farmed off the E is uh, when you have when you're you're doing REPL driven development, you you definitely need some evaluation part of it. Uh, I mean that's the E in REPL, read eval print loop, and the E is uh, something else. It could be anything else as long as it gives you some evaluation, and and that's what I've kind of done. So uh, you don't need to have uh, evaluation in the language, uh, but if you do, uh, it can be somewhere else. And if it's really that important to your 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 application, then then uh, it's probably not too much of a trade-off to have it as an external service. Okay, I think I understand that. Well, then the other thing I want to ask you is uh, the name. <laughs> What's the, Where did you get the name? I mean, you know, you said it's Russian for Chimera, but what uh, what prompted you to use Russian? Well, the, uh, <laughs> you know, I had, a, I had a different name for it at one point, but uh, everyone I, I told about it was pretty lukewarm on the idea, so I, I wanted to go with something else, but uh, I had no idea. I, I, I'm horrible at naming things, but uh, so I just looked in my iTunes and found a band that I like and, and used their name. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, so I, I went to Russia uh, about 10 years ago and, and uh, bummed around there for a couple weeks and and saw a, a great band called Chimera mm. uh, in St. Petersburg, and it was really impressed by them. So I got their got some of their music and uh, I've been listening to it ever since. Awesome. Well, we'll put a link to their their website or MySpace or whatever they've got on in the in the show notes too so people can check them out as well. Um well, so I I I'm not sure I want to out you on this, but I I happen to know. We talked a little bit about what you were going to name it and I was one of the people that uh gave you a little feedback on that. I don't remember what I said exactly, but what what was the do you mind mentioning what the original name was? Oh yeah, it was <laughs> it was zombie. Yeah, so you're kind of a are you kind of a zombie fan? I mean, I know you you've always wanted to name something zombie. Are you, you know, you like you like Walking Dead, uh, all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, I I do like I I like the show and and the original comic, but yeah, I've I've been a I guess you could say I've been a zombie fan for a long time. Uh, they they've zombies have kind of sold out lately, but. <laughs> I was going to say that they have ascended in pop culture, but I, I guess that's sold out if you're one of the if you're one of the true true fans. What do you think accounts for that? I mean, why why are zombies popular all of a sudden? I don't know. That's a that's a good that's a really good question. I, I, uh, I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with uh, a general uh, feeling of doubt. I, I I don't know. I mean, this is that, that's way over my head. Okay, fair enough. Uh, we'll <laughs> we'll go back. We will loop back to the things that, that people like you and I can get a grip on. Um, although, as we've said before on the podcast, like all of the all of the real problems in software engineering are about people. So I guess we can't really beg off you know not understanding people. Um, but uh, so that actually is is sort of a very silly segue, but I think it works to the one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about, which is. Uh, you know, you recently actually got published on Lifehacker, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, maybe you could tell people what you wrote about and uh, talk a little bit about what was in the article. Uh, well, yeah, I I, I talked about um, reading, a uh, pretty innocuous uh, topic, and uh, it's a little weird how I, I'm not even sure why that 
that particular blog post became popular because it, uh, just over time, uh, at, at people I talk to, I, I talk about books. I, I love to read and, and, and I love to talk about books. And I talk to people from time to time about certain books that I like. And uh, But generally, people st seem to ask me how I'm able to, to read the number of books that I'm able to read. And I, I don't particularly think that I read that many books over the course of a year. Um, but uh, apparently, uh, it's it's hard to find time to read books, and so, um, uh, and and I actually agree with that. But I, I over my my lifetime, I, I've just come up with certain strategies for for finding time to read, and 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 I just blogged about that, and 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 people found it interesting. It 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 was. Uh, somewhat discussed on on Hacker News, but especially uh, got a lot of airtime on 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 Lifehacker, and and they contacted me, and they had found it, and and asked if if they would they could republish it. So I said, yeah, cool, you're famous, more famous <laughs> for, for some for some definition of for some value of famous. Well, I there guess. you go. Now you're on this podcast, so now you're super famous. <laughs> um, yeah, well, the, the the thing I find interesting about your reading list, having had a chance to see it a little bit, um, is that your I, I mean, I, I feel like I read a fair amount, but one thing that I struggle with sometimes, and, and I know you address this a little bit in your article when you talk about don't feel like, you know, there's something that you have to read or things that you shouldn't read. But I do think that sometimes I wish that I found it easier to read more technical stuff. I mean, I read technical stuff. But at the end of the day, when I'm making time for my books, you know, it's far easier to fall into some piece of fiction than it is to, you know, pick up a book on crack a book on Rails or, or even, um, or even your book, which is quite good. Uh, so, well, I, having looked at the ratio of kind of, or the at least the number of uh, technical books and articles that you read, how do you? Is, are, is there anything that you do to make it easier to consume dense material like that at the rate that you do? Um. Well, uh, you know, I, I would definitely rather read uh, sci-fi than, than most of the technical books that I that I read and, and have read. Um, but you know, I, I guess uh, the, the the one thing that I could say about uh, being able to read a, a large number of technical material is to uh, it takes time, I guess, and and by that I mean I don't mean that. Uh, it, it it takes a certain amount of time to digest a, any given piece of of writing. Uh, it's it's that the more that you read, the more technical things that you read, the quicker that you'll become at reading uh, technical writing. Uh, you know there are certain patterns in in the way that things are written, and 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 you can you can often tell uh, the parts that you can skip. Gotcha. And so and 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 so you know. I, I've read so many books on uh, AI and and functional programming that uh, I could I could probably read one book on functional programming per day if I if I really wanted to. Uh, it, it's just that they don't really say uh, much of anything different from one to the other. Obviously, there are going to be books that are are way better than others, but uh, overall, they they pretty much say the same thing. So uh, that's one one way to. <laughs> consume technical writing and and not just books papers too i read a lot of papers as well but i i, I very rarely 
uh, read very deeply into technical papers. Uh, so where do you, let me ask this another way maybe, what's, what's the next thing I should read, the next technical thing I should read? And I know you don't know everything I've read, but you know, if, if you had to guess, you know, to, 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 here's a book that you probably haven't read that you really ought to. Um, do, do you have a certain genre that you're, you're interested in? Uh, well, you know, I mean, you and I occupy much the same space. Um, you know, we both work at Relevance and we both work in Clojure. So something that would be of interest to a guy like me who's interested in functional programming, who's interested in Lisps. Uh, I'm maybe not quite as much into the history of programming languages as you are, but maybe that's just because I haven't read the right books. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. There are two probably that, that I think are spectacular and one of my favorites. Uh, two of my favorites. One is uh, Expert Systems. Uh, principles and practice or principles and programming I think the fourth edition by uh, I'm going to butcher his name Giarantano and 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 Riley okay and, and that's a book about expert systems obviously mm-hmm. and but it really has a wealth of information about uh, AI in general and and knowledge engineering and and I, I think it's really a spectacular book. I, I love that book. So I would definitely read that. Okay. Um, the other one, probably Lisp in small pieces. Yeah, that's definitely one I you know hard to be a Lisp person and not hear about that one, but I haven't actually read it yet. Yeah, it's 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 really good. I mean, he 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 walks through the process of of building up Lisp systems and and the com- complexities that come with that. Cool. Uh, what about papers? Uh, where? How do you find? I mean, I know you know you say you read papers. I wouldn't even know, like, where to find them. Uh, I, I get, tend to get all my papers on a, something called Sightseer, which is C I T E S E E R. Okay. I get a lot of papers there, but I, I'm also a member of uh, ACM, so I, I, I get a lot. I get some papers there. Okay. Um, but. Uh, the way that you find papers is just read, just pick a paper, and if you like it, uh, go through its references. Ah. That's, that's that's the best way. Gotcha. So kind of like you'll what I'm doing. You'll spend a lifetime. You'll spend a lifetime sort of uh, what, reading so, papers. That sort way. of kind of how I'm dereferencing your brain <laughs> to get good stuff. Gotcha. Um, cool. Well, I that's awesome. I I definitely would love to to be able to emulate you a bit more on the reading front. Um, uh, but so uh, another thing I wanted to talk about for sure is so today is as I said March fifth two thousand twelve, and um, that is a huge day for some of our friends. Um, oh yeah, yeah. That... Right, just at lunch today basically the the Datomic website went up. Yes. Um, Datomic, very exciting thing. It is, and you know at Relevance we've been really fortunate in that we've been able to to get a little peek behind the curtains. I haven't worked on the project at all. Um, I don't know whether you have or not. Uh, but, uh, you know, just from my perspective, kudos, right? And like, I know that yeah. those guys have been working super hard. Rich is obviously, um, you know, a really smart guy, and it's going to be fascinating to see uh, the effect that Datomic has on the database landscape um, because certainly Clojure has had a big impact on the programming landscape. Yeah, definitely, without a doubt. I, I, I did get a chance to work with them uh, for some some time, some small amount of time, less time than I, I definitely would have wanted to, um, and was able to help them out in in contributing some code. Although uh, 
you know, Stu and Rich uh, are, 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 are the brain trust behind this. I mean, mm-hmm. There's no doubt. Uh, but I, I'm glad to have contributed just, just a little bit. Um, very exciting. Yeah, it is. I, do, I don't, I mean, I'm hope. I'm really hoping that we can have those guys on the podcast in the very near future. Um, and if we do, uh, there's every chance that that episode will go up before this one. But I, I wondered if you wanted to take a crack at just sort of explaining why it's such a big deal. I mean, be, beyond the fact, I mean, obviously we're excited because our friends have made this product right, and we would be if, even if it were something a little less uh, kind of earth-shaking than Datomic has the potential to be. But I wondered if, if you would mind taking a crack at um, letting other people know why they should be excited. Uh, well, it's it's interesting. I I don't know if... If I if I wanted to go too deeply into it, I mean, I, I probably couldn't do it justice. Uh, but the, I can say that the things that that excite me are um, that it sort of splits the database into uh, different pieces, um, and and so uh, provides different ways to uh, scale your database, your 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 your, your data, mm. and and. Uh, another thing that that really excites me about it is that its uh, its query mechanism is built on data log. I mean, these these are sort of technical details, and and uh, but you know, I, I tend to focus on that kind of stuff anyway. I'm 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 not a marketer, and and so right. Um, uh, I, I I like I like the technical nitty gritty, but uh, I, I really I'm I'm actually very excited that that Rich went with uh, a data data log based uh, query capability, and uh, data log is sort of, I guess, the elevator pitch for data log is that, um, <laughs> and I don't know if you'd want to use this as an elevator pitch, but um, it's sort of like prolog. prolog. <laughs> um, I'm sold already. Yeah, right. Uh, but it's it's uh, it, it's not uh, a general purpose programming language like like uh, prolog is. It's it it really is a query language. Uh, that that in in a lot of ways looks looks like uh, pattern matching in in, in uh, programming languages. So uh, maybe that would be a better way to describe it mm. rather than taking the the prolog angle. I, I don't think they'll they'll print the the brochures with with the prolog angle on it. Probably not. Probably yeah. not. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I appreciate. I mean, I, we're definitely going to have to have a, a data log. Uh, sorry, data log. Well, actually, that'd be cool too. A data log episode. Uh, but I meant a Datomic episode very soon, so um, mm-hmm. I may I'll let you off the hook on that one, and we'll we'll make uh, we'll make uh, whoever we get on, whether it's Rich or Stu or somebody else, explain it in 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 excruciating detail for all of our interested listeners. Yeah, I'm 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 excited to hear it as well. So I wonder if we could swing around to the relevance experience. I mean, we've talked to a lot of people at um, on the podcast about uh, the relevance experience. Um, uh, I'm trying to think if we if we talk to anyone who is actually remote, because you and I both live uh, quite a distance from the Durham office. Yeah, we do. We're both in the D.C. area. Right. So, what's that? How has that been for you? Uh, you know, it's it's actually kind of weird to be honest. Uh, I, I've I've always worked in an office, and and so uh, it's it's always been a dream of mine to not have to do that. Uh, to to work from home and 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 now that I do, uh, I, I I don't know I don't quite I, I haven't quite been able to uh, figure it out yet. Hmm. 
but but one thing that that but although I don't know I, I guess I guess that's not entirely true I I think the biggest the biggest thing for me uh, the biggest the, the hardest thing to get over for me was was the pairing the constant pairing mm. uh, I I've I've never done that before. And and so I, I didn't really know what to expect when when coming to relevance and 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 I, I have to say that uh, and and you and I have talked about this a little bit uh, that I was completely exhausted when I when I had first done it. <laughs> yeah, we we have actually. You're not the only person on the podcast. I think it was actually I mentioned it before as well on the podcast that you know our clients can rest assured that the fact that they are you know paying two people. Um, is is of is to their benefit because you don't you don't spend much time during the day twiddling your thumbs. I mean, you have to say, "Boy, it'd be really great if we could take five minutes right now so I could use the bathroom." <laughs> right, right. Oh, and I just remembered, of course, that we have talked to one other remote person on the show, which is David. We didn't talk to him oh. about uh, we didn't talk to him about being remote, though. So I think it's a good topic for us to explore. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, like you say, pairing is 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 pretty intense. Um. You know, and there was just an article today, and I'm afraid I've completely spaced out on on who wrote it or where I saw it. Um, but it was talking a bit about the idea that not every activity is really is really ideal for pairing, and mm-hmm. it it made it yeah. had some resonance with me. I mean, I think you and I actually were working together on some some closure script thing earlier the other week, and we uh, we said, you know what, let's just go off by ourselves for a little while and and think over different aspects of the problem. Um, yeah. and, and that's not something that we, as a matter of course, tend to do at relevance. I mean, mm-hmm. it, we, we certainly do it sometimes, but but we do have a sort of default to pairing situation. And I'm starting to think about the fact that, um, you know, maybe it, it's time to turn the dial in the other direction sometimes and try to figure out if there are obvious patterns where you can say, this is an activity that would benefit from, you know, uh, parallel work rather than paired work. Yeah, I, I I definitely think so. It well, one thing that uh, really blew me away about about pairing in, in the beginning is that um, to do it effectively is is a genuine skill. I think, and uh, it's a it's a skill that can be um, nurtured, mm. and and so um, it, it's not easy. It, it's exhausting, and and it's hard to do, and and it takes time, and and it takes um, you know it takes practice. Uh, but it, it's not amenable to every task, like you said. And 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 one task that I've found especially excruciating is is documentation. <laughs> right. Uh, it, it's just it's it's really the equivalent of someone looking over your shoulder while you're typing. And 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 uh, th- there's just this incredible urge to to constantly say, oh, you you, you misspelled something. Yeah. Uh, when when and when in reality, when we're alone, we're misspelling things all the time. And we go back and fix them, and we we word things poorly, and we go back and fix them, and it's an iterative process. And and pairing isn't has I, I've not found pairing to be very good for that. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, we um, when we were working on ClojureScript one, that is to say, Brenton Ashworth and I were working on ClojureScript one. You know, we spent a lot of time, and I know you pitched in as well. Um, uh, we spent a lot of time working on the documentation. I think that was one of the reasons that the launch was so um, well received. Mm-hmm. was that we had more documentation than you would generally expect from an open source project on its first day in public. Right. Um, and we had exactly that situation where there were two of us and we were writing docs and we actually uh, went with a slightly different approach where 
one person would write it and then the other person would review it and we kind of had a rolling thing where um you know he, he would go along ahead and I would come along behind and then he would come behind my changes and and that that worked pretty well mm-hmm. um the other thing i would say is that you know from a tooling standpoint i have found google docs to be great because you can actually be in the same document editing you know uh different paragraphs at the same time and and i've actually found that to be for lightweight documentation where you're just kind of blasting through something, somebody can kind of get behind you and fix up your goofy wording or change your misspellings without having to interrupt you and ask you to type it. I think right. that's been great too. Yeah, I, I, I've used that a bit. Uh, actually, when, when Chowser and I were um, starting on Joy of Closure, we uh, we were doing it in um, some some similar service that, to, to Google Docs. I, I can't remember the name for the life of me at the moment. but Rightly or something. Uh, no, I, I, I don't even know. Okay. It's completely lost to the dustbin of history. (laughs) So, um, yeah, we, we tried that and, and it didn't work for us, but I I can, I can see how, um, perhaps we were doing it wrong. Uh, I, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't. I didn't have a similar experience with that, but I, I've only tried it once, so right. uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to write it off. But definitely, I've I've found it powerful to write something and then and then get it into the state where I want it, uh, and then have someone else look over it after the fact. For sure. Uh, but one one thing that one another point about pair programming that I think. Um, is I don't know if it's a problem in, in execution or if it's just the, the inherent in, in pairing itself. And uh, that's there tends to be a, a sort of rabid focus on uh, writing code. Mm. Uh, and and sort of if you, if if you're not writing code, then you're you're wasting time. And 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 that's the other downside of pair programming is thinking. Uh, pair thinking doesn't work all that well. Yeah, right. I mean, there are aspects of pair thinking that work great, right? When you have, when you're able to get to the point where you're discussing how mm-hmm. how best to do something, and you're in a you're in a mode where that kind of back and forth can be helpful. But mm-hmm. but there are other modes where it just needs to stew, or you know, you need to, I don't know. Just I, this is what I mean. I think we I think it'd be great for us to experiment, and maybe it's time to um to call a retro on pairing. I mean, we talked a bit on the Larry episode. Um, about how we have retrospectives and how we make use of those, um, maybe it would be time for relevance to call to to pick a topic for retrospective, which is, hey, how can we better pair? And I think that you know, trying to classify activities or develop heuristics around what you're doing that's that indicate whether pairing is more or less appropriate. And I think, um, for example, if you're if you're fixing bugs, pairing is probably a really, really good idea, right? If you're if you're straight up implementing features, then you know anytime, anytime we're actually writing code, I, I find that pairing is very effective. But maybe we can explore the space and figure out ways to to identify those times when it might be better to um, you know divide up the work a different way so that we can be as effective as we can. Yeah, I, I, I that's what I, I like that about relevance. Trying to constantly tweak the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which is an, another thing that's that's new for me, <laughs> being in a company that's willing to do something like that. Right? Yeah, cultural change is uh, is embraced, which is 
almost the total opposite of of many many places. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully our listeners are fortunate enough to work uh, places where that's not the case. But um, anyway, um, so I I just want to loop around to a couple more uh, things. You um you know we were kicking around ideas for the podcast. So what can we talk about? You sent me this huge list. We've we only touched on part of it, which is no problem because. I'm sure that we're going to have, want to have you back uh, at some point in the near future, Focus. But um, you threw out uh, music, Mozart, and I'm sure I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly, Gunter Schickert? Yeah, Gunter Schnickert. Yeah, he's uh, he's an old uh, progressive guy, uh, Krautrock guy. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. For, for a time, I was really getting into uh, um, German rock, German progressive rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and... and Gunter is one of my one of my all stars from that genre. I'm a big fan of sort of northern European metal um, in general myself. You know, bands with a with a darker sound, with a heavier sound, and that kind of the center of gravity of that type of music is you know the uh, northern Germany and a lot into the into the Scandinavian countries too. So. Well, maybe that makes a good uh, a good segue then into uh, the uh, the last question uh, of the day, as always, is uh, our outro music. Focus. What would you like us to play on our way out here? Um, different than the definitely a lot different than the intro, but um, "Witching Hour" by Lady Tron. Okay, awesome. Again, another one I haven't heard of, but I, as always, I'm looking forward to hearing that and putting it out there. People are hearing that play right now. Um, well, so I have to thank you for your time. This was a really fun conversation. Um, I'm sure we could have gone on and on and on and on. Um, and I will definitely like to have you back on the podcast at some point in the future. Uh, I know that you'll have worked on, you know, 95 other interesting things that we can talk about and, um, you know, uh, read another 100 books and maybe even written another one. Who knows? So um, thanks again for your thanks again for coming on the podcast. And uh, uh, appreciate it a lot. It was really fun to talk to you. Yeah, thanks, Craig. All right, great. So I'd like to thank the listeners as well. Thanks, as always, for listening. And this has been Think Relevance, the podcast. We'll see you next time.